What's happening, weirdos? Number 11. This is We Made It Weird, number 11, recorded live from my solo quarantine here in Montreal with Val over Zoom. What a wonderful chat. Let's get to it. Uh, she's not here in the intro. She had to go to therapy, but uh, here we go. She's in the episode. That's what matters. No ads. Uh, so I thought I might promote somebody else's stuff. My good friend Matt McCarthy has a hilarious new record out called Sober Dad. Matt McCarthy, one of my favorite guests on this podcast and a collaborator on Too Many Things to Count and just did a sweet, sweet man and a good friend. So uh, check out Sober Dad. Why not? There you go. Get some laughs in your life. Matt McCarthy. And uh, in the meantime, guys, nine years. This is the nine-year anniversary week. I hope you enjoyed Kumail, and I hope you enjoy me and Val, sweet lady Val. We made it weird, number 11. Get into it. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi, my love. Where are you? I'm um, in our friend's studio or office. Studio like, office. Studio office in their house because um, Leela is with the babysitter and so I can't be there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I know you're getting so much Lee right now, but it's it's not actually unpleasant. We we've been talking about this a lot actually on the phone. Is that like that idea that you guys are with me and that I'm with you guys while we're in the this time apart? And that has been true. I think in the past it would have been like hard for me to like look at pictures of Leela or even to be FaceTiming with you. Mm. I feel like the um. It's like that national song about how we're connected by a string. Yeah. And I really do feel more that way. I don't really attribute that to the maturity of the relationship as, as much as I attribute it to the, the work we've done in looking inside instead of thinking that reality is only what's in front of us, that it's actually the quality of our interior world. So I've been enjoying thinking about you and Leela. I thought I was going to have to like put it out of my mind and, and, and end these calls and not look forward to these calls or whatever it might be. But yeah. um, I put on the same music when I cook dinner, I put on yeah. you know, Madeline Peru or whatever it is we like. And I, I really do feel like this is my first experience being in a situation where I'm supposed to be lonely and I'm yeah. supposed to be miserable yeah. and I'm supposed to be, I think it would be typical maybe to be upset when you tell me about something new that Leela is doing, mm -hmm. like using my sunglasses case as her wallet and sleeping with it. And that's supposed to like hurt me. I'm supposed to be like mad. Mm. But I, I really do. I, I mean, don't you think maybe I'm wrong, maybe not mad, but at least like frustrated. that mm. I'm coming out. Well, I certainly didn't think that that's what it was supposed to do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have told you that. Oh, no, Mama. I, I, you know, I didn't think you were doing it for that reason. But maybe I, I, I can only speak for myself. In the past, in situations where I've been feeling excluded or something, uh, or like I'm missing out, or, or that story, we're always talking about the story that we tell, the story is I should be there. Yeah, I'm missing it. Yeah, and I'm not there, and I'm supposed to be there. And like... I really do think it's Ramdas and Katie and, and our conversations that have helped me sort of say yes to what is. And what's happening is I'm in this, this apartment now is so familiar to me. It feels like 
it feels like my body. <laughs> like it feels like I'm in some sort of womb or something. I see very little separation between me and, and this table or the kitchen or the bed. I'm just like, I live, this is my organism now. <laughs> like when I fly home, I, I picture it, this apartment will have to buckle up and this apartment will recline when it's allowed to recline. But I can't see myself like a turtle. A turtle thinks a shell is him. I feel like a turtle in a shell. And I think... Yeah, this is ahead. the first time it's been nine days, 10 yeah. days, nine days. I don't know. Uh, and this is the first time that I've talked to you and I can see that it's starting to make you crazy it a little bit. Yeah. I have been talking pretty much nonstop since we started, but that's not that. No, different. no. I just meant that whole, it's not like you're actually losing your mind, but just like, okay, so this apartment is me now. And there's, yes. No- it feels like just like the kind of the way that I was kind of losing it mm-hmm. when I was sleep deprived and postpartum and stuff where you're just like, everything is a creamy, dreamy weirdness. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. Is you start losing. Well, what is reality? I know I sound like the guy in quarantine, but reality seems to me to be a story that we remind ourselves is true every couple minutes. And when you're alone in an apartment, I'm actually, enjoying it quite a bit. I'm just like watching the Aaron Sorkin masterclass, just all the shit I could never do. Uh, Not, I would, I don't have to say this. I would prefer to be with you and Lee going for a swim, obviously. But now I'm, this is how I know I'm crazy. I'm sitting in the dark watching Aaron Sorkin and those masterclass videos, he's doing them to camera. So it's, it, like every once in a while, my brain thinks he's in the room talking to me. It's, I don't, I don't talk to him, but it's a, it's a medium shot, like a, a shoulder, head and shoulder shot of a guy talking directly to me about stuff that if I met him, I would talk to him about. So I'm like, are you here? <laughs> Modern day Truman Capote, are you in the room? Anyway, Does he call himself a modern day Truman Capote. No, they have similar dressing styles and glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah I can see that. Anyway, that's my yeah. download. The, you're absolutely right to diagnose that. It doesn't. It seem like a mushroomy kind of thought. Like this yeah. apartment is me. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is reality. I mean, people that lose. Uh, the ability to use a leg, uh, adjust, that becomes the reality. I remember Shane Moss told me about that. He's like, as long as there's a way to adapt and improve, human beings tend to thrive in those situations. But you do create a new reality. And then obviously, with full respect to real things like that, this is one one millionth, oh, this is my new reality. That's just what human beings do. We adapt. I remember even being a kid when I would get the flu or something, I would be like, I don't remember being well. It just became my reality. I was like, I've always had diarrhea. (laughs) Like I just couldn't. Can you relate to any of that mama? Oh, absolutely. That I think I still feel that way when I get sick. I'm like, I can't remember. And, and even like thinking about before having Leela, it's like, you remember things, like you remember events happening, but it's really hard to remember what that felt like. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to say, I'm also having a, like an unexpectedly easy, easy is not the right word, but way easier than I thought. 
But see right there. I mean, I think the reason you say not particularly easy is because I think there's a story that relationships share. It's like part of the like 20, 21st century relationship story that I'm supposed to want you to not be doing okay because I'm not there, at at least emotionally. Like I don't, we've never been this way, but I just think it's interesting to shine that searchlight on yeah, we Why? both have been doing do a lot of, sorry, yeah, we both have been doing a lot of disclaimers of like, not say, I'm so excited when you get here, but oh. we we had a great day or whatever. You yeah, absolutely. And, and Leela's been so cute and happy. And, and again, I'm really searching back to how I was in college and in my early 20s was I would think it was like inappropriate to not be codependent. Like, yeah. I actually kind of think I thought love was codependency. Right. So if I'm away, you and I should only talk about how miserable we are. Mm-hmm. And, and isn't it, I think it's sort of fucked up that that's considered romantic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I honestly haven't given it a lot of thoughts uh, of as to, like, why it's so much easier this time. I mean, there's a million different things I could think of that it's like, well, we were together nonstop for six months before this mm-hmm. uh, or, or the work that we've been doing, or I have Leela to distract me and she feels like a piece of you, or I don't know, like there's so much, there's so many uh, hypotheses for it, but like, I don't, this is rare for me. I don't really feel like I, I don't feel like a need to figure it out. I'm just mm-hmm. like, hey, I this is really how I've been feeling the whole time. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I just feel okay, but not in like a I just feel okay. Like right. I feel like I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what when someone asked uh Ramdas if he was happy. Well, he has a longer answer to that where he would go, "I'm happy." And then they'd say, "Are you sad?" and he'd go, he said, "I'd look inside and I'd go, yeah, I'm sad because he could find it. Like yeah. he he was somebody that understood that he was a painting of every color. And if you looked for despair, you could find it. If you looked for hope, you could find it. Yeah. But him and others, I heard, would say their goal wasn't um, ecstasy or uh, happiness even. It was contentment. Yeah. And you sound like you're finding that content. Yeah. yeah. I do feel very equanimitous. Like, yeah. like even today, so today, you know, yesterday we had a perfect day. Leela was so sweet and cute and easy and it was just the two of us and it was so nice. Mm. And then today, this morning she woke up at 5.30, so she only slept for nine hours, which is not a lot for her. Um, and then I was like, well, she'll take a nice long nap and I'll do my mindfulness class. And she slept for 45 minutes. <laughs> Oh my God, Val. And it's just that feeling of like, if I start to tell myself the story, it's like, okay, well, now she, the suffering comes from, I had predicted that she was going to take a two and a half hour nap. Yep. And that didn't happen. If you want a problem, get a future. Your future was, I have a good clean two and a half looking down my, my future. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's the suffering from the future. And then, uh, 
and then also predicting the future. I'm like, she's going to be really cranky. Like when she, she woke up after 45. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm basing that on past experiences, but it's not it's all. Not a, it's not a given. No, no. But, but if it, if I didn't, if I wasn't a little bit living in the past and I'm just using the past to predict the future and I'm no, I'm anywhere but here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I really had this like a moment where I was starting to get frustrated. Um, or I was just like, I, I was doing the mental, not spiraling, but kind of circling the drain of just being like, Oh man, now like she's going to be so cranky for the babysitter and it's going to be hard to leave. And then Iris is going to have to spend the whole time keeping her awake. And then, you know, if she doesn't get a good night's sleep tonight, then she's really going to be a mess and just play, like playing it all out. Right. And then I looked at her and she was like eating pasta in the most available <laughs> way. And then she went, hi mama. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. You're right. You're totally fine. All that exists right now is we're in this room and you are fine and I am fine and nothing else is happening here. That's right. I think that's, Oh, go ahead. I just, I have been able in general to, um, to do that. Like to, to just have a little bit of space between my thought patterns uh, to where even when I do get caught up in it for a second, I'm, I can kind of pop out. Yeah. Um, And it's the falling back in that helps you identify the popping out. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But what are you saying? But I will say there's been, I also have been kind of wrestling with like, am I okay because I am equanimous and have been meditating and whatever, or am I okay because I'm disassociating? And as soon as you come back and I feel safe again, am I going to like be feeling all of this stuff that I. You mean you, you don't feel supported enough to have the complicated emotions. So you're smoothing it out. Is that what you mean? There might be a survival element of I am hyper focused on Leela. So like, Oh, that's me too, mama. I'm making up jobs to do. Like (laughs) I I was looking at my little to-do list, by the way, I'll send something off and then I'll follow up like, Hey, did you read that thing I sent you yet? And when I look at the date that I sent it and see that it was yesterday, (laughs) uh, it's, it's like the most surreal feeling in the world. I'm like, I sent him that thing three weeks ago. When is he going to read it? And it's like, that was yesterday at 6 p.m. And it's 9 a.m. the next day. And I'm like, totally there with you. So like, it's not bad. I'm just saying, I'm letting you in on how I'm thinking about it. It's just what's happening. Remember you and I talked about, I'm not watching paranormal activity. It's not bad. And it's not good to not watch it, but it's just helpful. It's helpful. It helps me not think out at night. As something opens behind you, hilarious. There's a ghost in here. Oh my the god! They love that. Ghosts love that movie. It's like <laughs> that's their. Oh my god! <laughs> what? I just got. I just forgot that you had just mentioned peril, paranormal activity, and then I just got legitimately scared, and then I got delighted that I got so scared. Why? Because I said ghosts love that movie. 
Yeah, because then I was like, oh my God, it is a ghost responding to that movie being oh mentioned or something. Oh my gosh. Well, that would be hilarious. The the ghoulish Epert and Roper that want to like review movies with two booze up. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, somebody has a bit about like... Boo thumbs up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> boo thumbs up. Thank you, mama. 30% funnier consistently. Somebody must have a bit about, I think somebody does about like, if you were a ghost, wouldn't you have something better to do than just like walking around the jang- house. jangling chains? I was thinking about it, not to be weird, but a very common psychedelic revelation, and people have realized similar things through meditation, is that all of all that potential has already happened. So if mm-hmm. you can think of everything that's ever happened and ever could happen as like a glowing orb. And the way and time is like a gift or a um, technique or whatever, or it's the vehicle for humans to experience what's happening in a linear way. Otherwise, it would just be complete nonsense. So it's like time is the operating software Mm. that we are using to give the illusion Mm. of it's Thursday, now it's Friday, now it's Saturday, now Mm. I'm old. You know, so... But really, you've, you're being born and you're dying at the exact same time. It's all happening on right. top of itself. Wow. So if you consider that, and I'm very quick to agree with that. I've had um, experiences that sort of point that way. Mm-hmm. And if you look that way, it stands to reason that two of those levels might, you know, uh, bleed into each other. Sure. And yeah. that, that could explain some phenomena. You've described that to me before I'm, re- I'm realizing now. And I think that that has it, helped. I think that freaks me out and I hate it. <laughs> Sorry. And I hate that. <laughs> and um, I hate it. Well, no, because my ghost thing has always been like, why are they all awful, awful people? Like, why are they all scary, murderous people? Because mm. that's a very small amount of the population is that way so wouldn't right. most of them just be like hey kevin yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> he's like getting in the fridge <laughs> hearing little ghost toots yeah. and you go is that a boo uh yeah, yeah a, <laughs> a boo movement <laughs> i mean i'm sure if you had any i hate i sort of love this and i also hate that we're talking about it because i'm gonna hang up with you and be like Emmett, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I'm sure if you had an experience like that, if those things are real, um, it would be hard to notice. Wouldn't it be hard to notice that they were just knitting? You'd be like, yeah. I think they were holding a, a dog's head or something. It, it, it ball also, yet. though, if you, I'm sorry, to, I'll change it to me. If I just saw like an old woman knitting in the corner right now, that I would, would be, be That would be enough. Yeah, that would be enough. Knitting is scary anyway. Like, where do you get the time? <laughs> Like the most, the most frightening thing is your time management. (laughs) I used to have a joke about that, my love, where I said the the weirdest thing, the scariest thing about serial killers isn't the murder. It's the journaling. They always manage to have the journal, like long journal entries that they find after the fact. I'm like killing people. I I understand. But journaling, (laughs) this is so Seinfeld. I go, who has the time? I love that. Who goes out and kills 12 people and comes home like Doogie Hauser and writes, big day. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. Solid that. I'm going to write that down. Um, yeah, so I can't believe that there 
I mean, I know there are bits that I've never heard of yours, but it's rare that we come across one. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised you haven't heard that one. Serial killer journal. I'll, I'll know what that means. Um, sorry, baby. Well, anyway, we're talking about ghosts. We're talking about getting along with ourselves. We're talking about not missing each other. Oh, and uh, the di- in and like necessary disassociating, I feel like is what. That's right. That's to. right. So I was saying, and then I put us on a tangent, um, as is my want. Emmett! Emmett! <laughs> it's my want! Um, I, uh, I was saying that once I checked every box on my list, which was, I don't know, day four? <laughs> I started going, I mean, we have to go back and, and, and rewrite this. And, and I'm going to, let's say there's a project I'm working on and they want one script. I'm like, well, I'll write you three scripts. Like, it's, I just, I can't, it's not even for the discomfort. It's, I suppose it is a little bit, if I'm being honest, to avoid the discomfort of purposelessness. And if, yeah. and if there's anything, uh, or I'll say if there's the number one thing that I value about the life that I worked 20 years um, to get, not, not to be like, I worked 20 years to get it, but it was hard earned, is that I can write things and, and people will at least read them. That, I think that's one of the greatest joys of my life. Because, yeah. I'm saying that because if people are listening and they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I just want to say I understand it's really hard to do it just for yourself. You can do it and I encourage you, but that's why I chase my agents and stuff to read it so I can make it feel more like a job and not just staving off insanity. Yeah. But that is that what you're doing? Go ahead. Yeah. And I think mine's just a little bit more, I feel like that's maybe the masculine version where, (laughs) whereas like, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess for me, instead of being productive, it's it is like actually just disassociating from my body mm. so like checking in less and um and and i'm not yet so i guess what i really what it comes down to is and you can attest to this before i had lila so really before i was embodied mm. i felt very equanimous Remember, it was like, we kind of were like, well, Val is just a little bit like enlightened or something. And just you, does this, this was when, I'm sorry, you said it was. This was before Leela mm-hmm. um, and before, you know, not that I didn't get sad and stuff, but it was, I was just much more steady and, and just kind of always okay. Mm-hmm. Um and like very easy low maintenance for like myself even mm-hmm. and I thought that that was my personality then I had the baby and the depression and but also I think most importantly became more in my body mm-hmm. and started to be aware of all of the things that I was just ignoring so I recognized or at least the story of that that I've kind of come to understand mm-hmm. is I thought I was okay but it was because i was ignoring so much right i was disassociating like body and so now when i feel equanimous i truly don't know yet i i'm like is this is this old pattern or is this new right 
And um, or am I am I sleepwalking, or have I really opened the windows and it's actually a sunny day, or am I just putting yeah. paintings of sunny days over the windows so I can <laughs> fool myself? Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm. That's really that's a really good way to put it. Um, and then, but what you just helped me realize, which I have therapy after this, and I'm sure she'll say the same thing, is like if I am disassociating right now, that doesn't that's not bad or a failure that might be totally necessary because of what I think we talked about in the last podcast is that like I historically can start to identify with my child self Mm -hmm. uh, when you're gone and then I feel very overwhelmed and like the last thing I can do is take care of a child I, I am a child I need somebody to take care of me I can't be alone Mm. And then I get very afraid of my own mental capacity and like, am I going to have a panic attack? Am I going to, you know, whatever. And that's like what the familiar spiral is. So I've been really identified a hundred percent with my parent self this whole time, which is what's made it so much easier. So there could be like a intuitive wisdom of being like, we can't really do a deep dive right now into any trauma, any child self stuff. We have to tell the child self to hold on Mm -hmm. because if we do that, um, it might be hard to pull out. And there's just a, there, that's kind of what I'm, I'm talking myself into is I think there might be like a wise self uh, executive decision to be like, we're, we're just going to, take care of ourselves, take care of the baby. And, um, and then we'll, we'll address everything else when it's safe. I mean, I love that you said deep dive because I picture people spelunking into like a circular gigantic well, like cave. And if somebody's going to do that, you need the equipment. You need to like drill something into the top stone and that hooks onto your belay rope. And you need someone to, is it called belay? You need Belay. I don't know if it is belay. I had a chicken belay once. It was delicious. <laughs> okay. I you need someone to work the rope on the other yeah, end. Yeah. I think right. it is belay. I think you say belay on. And if it's not, who knows? And if uh, it is, but, how did you know that? <laughs> oh my God, Val. I had to rock climb. I hate the time. I don't hate it. I let's just say I don't miss it. When I was in college. I would sign up because I just had this image in my head that I was not a person that sat things out. And it was in large part because of my roommate, Chuck, who was really good for me. Um, you know, you met Chuck at the, at the wedding. He was always getting me to go to dances. Chuck, my, friend, my two friends, Chuck and Daniel, were like handsome. They are handsome, square-jawed, muscular guys, right? Dark-haired, sort of more stronger silent type than me. And I was sort of their like, you know, Jamie Kennedy sort of (laughs) friend in like a bright yellow coat. Um, Anyway, so, but they wouldn't, Chuck would not let me not go to dances. He, He would just, he just built me up in that confidence, which I'm, and so did my friend Daniel. I'm really grateful for that time. I remember the three of us putting on black tank tops. They were, they're muscle guys. They put them on and they looked awesome. I put it on. It looked like you put it on a wedge of cream cheese, a very tight black uh, 
tank top on a wedge of Philadelphia cream cheese and my arms are out. They've never been out. They've never seen the sun. They have have tans. And I'd go and I'd like dance. I didn't know what I was doing, but I would try. Then there was something called La Vida. And there were two things you could do. One was called Discovery and one was called La Vida. I'm a Discovery kid. Discovery is like a three weekend course where you maybe, I don't know, play dodgeball or or visualize playing a team sport. And then Levita was like a two week long go into the camp, uh, go into the woods intensive that ends in a 10 mile run. And I'm pretty sure it was during Levita, I'm positive it was during Levita that I witnessed people um, rock climbing. I tried it on a rock wall and I was like, this is not for me. The confidence that relies on your body and your muscle memory, which I admire and respect so much. I don't have that. That, that, like, that feeling of certainty in your stomach the first time you go skiing and you just push off and you trust that you can do it, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. I, have it, I have it in other areas, obviously, mm-hmm. but like watching them climbing rocks and belaying on and all that sort of stuff. But I ran 10 miles very slowly, but we did it. I can't believe it. Chuck ran with me the whole way. Oh my gosh. Well, that's sweet. I, I mean, if you made a broman, a romantic comedy about my time in college, it would end with Chuck, who could have run it very quickly, running barely a trot with me. <laughs> and our nemesis, who we called Mayor McCheese, I, I always look back to the nicknames I gave out in college and I was like, was I a piece of shit? Like, was I a jerk? I called the guy Mayor McCheese because he had like a floppy Fisher hat that looked like a gigantic top hamburger bun. And so I started calling him Mayor McCheese. There was another kid that I, that Steve reminded me I used to call Arnie because he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just everyone getting a nickname from me, probably in fear that they'd call me Philadelphia Cream Cheese. So I'm like, I'm going to cut this off at the pass. And Mayor McCheese, it went both ways. Like, we didn't like him and he must have hated us. So Mayor McCheese was walking the 10 miles and anytime we got close to him, he'd run. So he'd run real fast and then would catch up to him and he'd run real fast. So Mayor McCheese beat us in the oh. 10, 10 mile. He got the last laugh, man. That movie might be about Mayor McCheese, man. And I think I'm the jerk bully that was like, whatever, Mayor McCheese. And you guys he would- are the like, the like 80s bullies but that wear matching black tank tops. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot to make fun of. I got to go. I got to <laughs> go. So all of that is to say, Belay on, you, Valerie, know that you can't split yourself in the way that's necessary to go deep. And I also have areas that I don't necessarily want to want to go down. Like I started watching... Um, being John Malkovich and it was just too dark and too sad. And and you just know that like, if you invite that to the table, you're going to spend the next 14 days alone. And this just goes into life. This, this speaks to our, I watched the social dilemma. Mm -hmm. I took everything off my phone after that. Um, Mm -hmm. You can actually block for anybody interested. You can block websites like Twitter and Instagram. It's, It's in settings under screen time and it's restrict adult content, but then you just list Twitter and Facebook as adult content, and then it will block it. Okay. You still get to it, but you have to do like a five-step process to turn it back on. And by the time you do that, you're done peeing, and you didn't look at, inst- you didn't look at Facebook. So um, 
I don't know where, where I, where I was going with that. Just that we're, we're parenting ourselves right that's now. Right. That's basically. Right. Thank you. Mom. I think that's really good. I was going to say, it was like, I started to think, I wish we were having a harder time because so many people had questions or a few, quite a few people had questions about codependency and being apart and stuff like that. And so I was like, I kind of wish we were having a harder time because it might be more helpful. But then I'm realizing we are talking directly about the things that, and we're having a moment to reflect on the things that we are doing to, to keep ourselves okay. I also think I I would think that codependent Pete, who is Pete most of my life, would like to hear that someone who used to tell himself the story that codependence was love could Mm -hmm. hear the potential of realizing that trust is love and Mm -hmm. autonomous uh, trust is love and and keeping someone in your heart even if you're not with them. The nights that you've gone to bed without texting me because I know you're with Leela, are precious nights. I practically say out loud, it's one of the features of our relationship. I used to brag, mostly to myself, that like we didn't have that thing where you had to be like, good night, not every, not every night. It's nice, most nights. But like if we don't, there's trust. So what I think, assuming that there were questions about codependency, and those are close to my, our hearts, obviously, I do think it comes down to the story. And where did you get that story? You know, you got it from media. You got it from unhealthy or let's just say less than perfectly evolved relationships that were modeled for you. And along the line, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, these are deeply codependent people. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to miss one thing. I mean, get a hobby. You know what I mean? Like these are unhealthy it's infatuation. It's, it's, and that can be really fun. It's like mania. You can't sleep and you talk for four hours on the phone, whatever. But like, that's almost like a more drug like relationship. And I, I'm happy to say that you can change the story. You can find a co-conspirator that wants to write a new story, believe. And, and that's what's happening. Like in the quarantine, we wrote a new story. This is our new normal and a relationship can be rebooted or the next relationship you're in, you can have that quiet intention that you're like, I don't want to have that. Um, Jeremy, I miss you. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, eat 10 pints of ice cream. Cause I don't know what to do with myself. You can say, would you water my garden? I'll water your garden. And can we just trust our gardens are okay. That the sun, the sun and the rain will take care of the gardens. I don't need you to take care of the garden. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you're here to smell the flowers in the garden, but it, it was never you that grew the garden. It yeah. was never you. It was never you that grew the garden. Yeah, that's it. I, I really feel like this is such a clear example to even remember for myself of like the only thing I can do for you really is, or the best thing I can do for you is to, to take care of myself. and because I've been so invested in and getting myself through this and never once thought that it was like your responsibility or that this was something that you did to me. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's ways that this could have been bad from jump street. Um, 
And it was just like an assignment of like, okay, how are you going to make sure that you're supported, that you have people you can call, that you, that you do the things that will make you feel safe and good. Mm. Um, and, and because I've been doing that, when I truly get so excited when you've had a great day or when you like took a break or when you send me pictures of your cowboy movies and your cereal bowls, because, <laughs> because I am, I'm making sure that I have plenty of halo top and when Harry met Sally, you know, right. like right. I'm making sure that I'm doing my own version of that. That's right. So then I can be truly thrilled for you when you're doing it. It's, yeah you know what I mean? Whereas oh, yeah. it all goes back to that like abundance and scarcity mindset where if I am giving to myself, I know that I have enough. Um, and if I'm not, then I am scarce and I'm looking for you to do that. And, and that's just setting you up for failure because you can't really do it. That's right. Yeah. People, somebody asked us, I forget who, forgive me, but they were like, can you talk about infidelity and codependence? And I was like, it just struck me. We've said it before. I was like, the fact that we're not possessive leads to a concrete monogamous, you know what I mean? Like the intellectual laxness actually reinforces the very traditional monogamy. I, I, I feel like you working on yourself and somebody asked a question about, you know, the world being on fire and, and how it can sometimes feel selfish to work on yourself or to take a break from, and these were their words, arguing or debating or helping or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like every teacher I know is like the only person you can teach is yourself. Mm-hmm. And that nothing is a better teacher than becoming something. And when people see that in you, I always yeah. go to my father with the peas. He ate peas. And to this day, I think it's like a cool thing to eat peas. Similarly, to be at peas, <laughs> to be at peace. Creates world peas. Oh, my God. World, world peas. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we know that shirt from the 90s. Um, it, I know last episode, Mama, you wanted to talk a little bit, or we both wanted to talk a little bit about what I think is your book idea is... <laughs> the solidarity that you can offer people that Mm. especially during the pandemic, I just found out another friend of mine is pregnant. Mm. And I really think in the way that I've tried to bring complexity to people who are trying to have um, spiritual beliefs that can still be horny or dirty or whatever it might be, you're trying to humanize and three dimensionalize um, something that has always been, is you know idealized something that women get pregnant and it's their most I, I can see the youtube videos that i used to watch on how to like change a baby or it wasn't that but some youtube video and it was always some mommy mm-hmm. that was just like seemed to be 22 glowing yeah. yeah with the baby the baby's in the video and she's just so in love it's this intense love affair and she's just talking about how great and how if they talk about how difficult it is, they only sort of throw it in to cushion how great they're doing now. Yeah. And what I see the comedian instinct in you and the artist instinct in you is to say, wait a minute, um, it's totally possible to be pregnant and not crazy about it. 
to feel depressed, to feel dark, to feel incapable, to feel like you're going to miss out on your life, that this baby's going to, like Charlene Yee and Knocked Up, it's going to steal your food, then it's going to steal your time and all these things. (laughs) So for several episodes now, we just keep missing it. I've been wanting to give you the opportunity to talk about that as much as you'd like. Yeah. Thank you, my love. Thanks for remembering. Um, and, and I, I love talking about it. Um, but I also wanted to talk about it because I am really not surprised. I'm, uh, because I, I think this is such a more common thing than we realize than is, is told to us. Um, but I have been very fascinated with how many people have sent me questions about like, I'm pregnant and I am. Cause where do you go? It, it needs to be like reluctantly pregnant anonymous R- <laughs> yeah. RPA. Yeah. I mean, because I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, you just, it's such an interesting topic, I guess, but men have examples in movies and TV Yes. where you find out that your wife is pregnant and you fake it. And then you go to the bar, you go with your buddies and you're just like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm ready. Like there's, that's been modeled. Yes. There's no modeling. Please keep going. It's very rare. And you know what is, is even rarer, if not like completely non-existent is the person who is trying is the woman who was trying to get pregnant and then gets pregnant and then is like, wait a minute, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Like, because, and I think that that's, that's what a lot of the women who are writing to me said too, in whether they're pregnant or they're postpartum or, or even sometimes, you know, their kid is 12 and they're reflecting on their experience. Um, but it's been like, we tried to, to get pregnant. I wanted to get pregnant. And then as soon as I did, it hasn't felt, this is the phrase that I used and that a lot of people have used. It doesn't feel like I thought it would feel. Mm-hmm. And that is just so, oh, that is so common. I think it might, I, I'm using like anecdotal evidence, but I think that might be the majority of, of pregnant women feel that way, at least at one point, if not. Or they disconnect and they disembody and they start believing that a sunny day is a sunny painting on their windowsill because there's no room, even in their psyche, in their built identity, there's no room, I'm mixing metaphors, but there's no architecture to hold, this doesn't feel like what I thought it would feel like. And I'm scared and I'm sad and I'm depressed or I'm angry or I'm, I can only liken it in my own experience to like signing up for a school. Like when I started going to Gordon, I was like, Oh no. Like I thought it was a terrible decision, but you're like locked in. Like I, you know, but that times a million there, there's a, there's a whole person coming in your body showing. Right. Yeah. So even, even like, especially because you feel like, there's so much going on. If you have a thought, which I'll just say, I think I've maybe shared on this, but I was trying to, we were trying to get pregnant and I was so disappointed that the months where it wasn't happening. And then, uh, and then I had like, I fell into my depression and had those panic attacks. And then like a week later I peed on a stick and it said pregnant. And I was like, I just remember distinctly a weight that I have never felt 
uh, before and that I have not really gotten rid of since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like instantly my body just became denser mm. and there was just this huge responsibility and I couldn't believe how much I remember so vividly seeing the word pregnant on the stick and just the, just the most complicated. It was like, I felt everything at once mm. and was surprised that I didn't just feel the good feelings. And we're back to Ramdas. Are you happy? Yeah, there's happiness. Are you sad? Yeah, there's sadness. Like the more we can encourage the house, put it to me, the more I can encourage myself to even like a show getting picked up. Is there joy? Yep. Is there fear? Is there imposter syndrome? Is there dread? Is there anxiety? Is there happiness? Whatever it might be. And the answer is yes. We, what, what is so, why do we have to give the bell curve yeah. and say, I feel this way about it? Like, yeah. because that's- nobody wants to hear how you really feel, I guess. <laughs> or you think that's what it is. Yeah. And that is the thing too. So then you get, it's like the beginning of mom guilt. It starts when pregnancy doesn't feel the way you think it feels. And then how quickly your mind goes to like, well, I'm going to be the worst mother in the world then. I wonder if you could call your book, what to expect when nothing feels like you thought it would feel. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm always looking for the title for your, for your. Yeah. What do you, what do you expect? when you have an unexpected expecting, (laughs) mom guilt is pretty strong. Uh, keep going. Um, and I want to say I am, I, you know, that one of my best friends has adopted two sons and there are so many parallels. We were just talking about how she waited for 13 months for the adoption to get finalized and how that's like her gestation period. Of course. So I I just want to say I am speaking to pregnancy because that's my experience, but I know that there are so many parallels with, with people who adopt kids. Um, and like just the, you still are becoming a parent. So so the weight, feeling the weight of that is going to happen. Yeah, wombs take many shapes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, yeah. So I just, I want to say, like, it is the most transformative thing that a person can go through other than death. It's, it is like equivalent it's yep. the same. These are the, the transformations and you are dying. I remember our, our sweet doula Ivy telling me uh, while I was going into, while I was in labor, she was like, it feels like you're dying because you are dying. Like, and that just really. Thank you, Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> there is a way that, luckily, I think she read it well, like knew that I would be the type of person that would take that well. Like it yeah. was like. I oh, could have God. used the adverb metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes. But yeah, so, so of course you have all of the fears of dying. And it doesn't mean Real, I mean, I think it's helpful to think of it that way so that you can, uh, when you're going through it, you can understand the intense feelings before it happens and the intense feelings after. And there is this like existential period usually, which I think is what 
a lot of postpartum, I think postpartum depression is, I am starting to think of it as inevitable just to what degree, um, because there, I just don't see how, how I don't see any way around it. Your hormones are going nuts. You just blew your life up. You, um, you have died and been transformed, but you're Mm. in this existential period where you don't know yet what your, your rebirth looks like. So you're kind of in purgatory and you have to feed that baby every two hours. (laughs) So you're not. So the the weirder thing would to be, to be what the 22 year old YouTube mommy seemed to be. Yes. But nobody really talks about the phoenix rising from the ashes and them being like, we sort of miss being whatever a phoenix is mythologically before it rises. Probably another phoenix. But now I'm all colorful and shiny. Yeah, I miss being a gray phoenix. <laughs> I, li- I liked gray. And frankly, I'm colorblind. I can't see these shimmering colors. What I assume are shimmering colors. Anyway. <laughs> and the whole 22-year-old mommy or like the 50s housewife is like the image of the phoenix, like sweeping away any residue ashes, being like, nothing to see here. I've yeah. always been this <laughs> Oh, my God. When really those ashes are all over the couch as you're breast pumping and they're all over <laughs> yeah. every, they're all over the house, of course. And we just have no toolkit to understand it, it's sorry to keep saying things like this but like if men got pregnant there would already be a million books about like <laughs> so it's not what you thought it was this you know I mean? this it's really hard yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah and and i don't know i would love to learn more about historically when this this came about like I would totally buy that women used to have a way more honest um, perspective of this mm. and probably in other countries they do. Um, but, but certainly I, I I'm assuming there's something to the patriarchy uh, where you have to make it not seem as powerful as it is because that, means that women are powerful. So that's like my my friend who just had a a baby on Friday. So the baby is a week old tomorrow. She, we were FaceTiming today and she said that she lost it on the fifth day, which I think the fifth day is infamous for those of you who are pregnant or postpartum. Mm. Um, The fifth day after the baby is born. Yeah. And I'm sure there's people who know more about this, but like, I, I think there's some big thing that happens with your hormones because that day for me, remember was when we had the lactation consultant mm. and I just like, I hated that crying and I couldn't stop crying and she had to leave because <laughs> I just yeah. couldn't stop crying. You were secreting from the wrong gland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's like save your juices. Um, I, but in the weirdest way, Valerie, I, Again, I'm not trying to say that I could relate 100%, but I was like, I feel like I know this. I feel like I know performance anxiety. I feel like I know asking my body, maybe it was rock climbing, to do something that it just couldn't do. It feels like an athletic endeavor. And you literally have a coach going like, get out there and leave it all on the court. And and remember, we watched that ad and ruins everything, which we recommend to anybody who's pregnant talking about breastfeeding. It's an unbelievable gift of grace that um, Adam made that episode. Yeah. But um, I, I relate so hard. But that that expectation that good mothers 
lactate. I mean, and do it easily. Yeah. And here's the thing. This is really unexpected too. Um, in, in women taking their power back. Um, so breastfeeding, you know, has such a journey and it was shamed and you were considered like perverted for doing it for a long time. Mm. And then, then I think it was starting to be more normal, but um, still like something you should hide. And it's, it's like a private icky kind of weird thing that we have to do. Like, it's like, we're trying to completely separate ourselves from the animal of our body, which the animal of your body is essential in the whole process of, of pregnancy and birth and afterwards. Uh, That's kind of the thing that I love most about it is that you will turn into an animal um, let the pri- let the primate do it. That's that was yeah. one of our mantras. Was let I think we said let the monkey do it, but it, it's like become that drum circle bonfire, dirty footed yeah. warrior. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you feel so connected to all of the women that have done it before you because their bodies had the same miraculous wisdom that yours did. Like yeah. what? It's yeah. un, it's unreal. And I was just saying this to my friend. I was like, so for anybody who isn't experiencing childbirth, male or female um, or other, uh, I think that childbirth is just the most extreme example of your body's inherent wisdom. Mm. But it's, that wisdom is always running constantly in, in the smallest and largest ways for everyone constantly. So it's just pointing to something magical that everybody has. That's right. Uh, it's just the I, most example. Again, I'm watching the Jordan uh, last dance. I actually just finished it. I don't know what I'm going to watch uh, now, but um, what time is it? Big time. <laughs> what time is it? Big time. Um, the way, obviously Freud talking about pouch envy and the idea of women in sports, there's this, there's this, you know, territorial thing I feel with uh, men for sure. But I wonder if that's because when we talk about instinct, when we talk about training our body under pressure, leaving it all on the court. I mean, when you gave birth, you left it all out on the court. So men, and I'm not putting men down. I think it's lovely, um, are creating situations mm. as challenging as childbirth to push themselves as hard, as far as they can go and to, you know, give birth to a trophy basically. But I, I wonder if there's something psychologically going on. <laughs> there. Yeah, well, I mean, I could see that because I think there is encoded in us or maybe uh, there's a part of us that remembers what we have forgotten, which is that we're, made to, I don't know if this is true, but I kind of believe this. It seems like we are made for embodiment and for, for constant transformation. I mean, everything is constantly changing and moving. Everything in nature is transforming. Why would we be any different? Yeah. So, so the whole concept of it's the hero's journey. I mean, like labor, pregnancy for sure. And even just labor is the hero's journey. You're really like in the cave slaying dragons. So you well, can the, 
return with the treasure. Yeah, bring bring the boon back to the village and you're the same, but you're different and everyone should learn from your wisdom. Unfortunately, that that wisdom has been turned down to I'm a ma'am and I love it, you know? So like the whole story of all the dragons and all the blood and the grit and the teeth and the dirt and the fear and the anxiety Mm -hmm. is sort of washed from that. But I mean- Answering the call is getting the, you know, looking at the pregnancy test. You get the call and you don't think you can do it and you don't think you can make it, but you have to say, uh, you don't have to say yes, but I mean, in, in your case, you, you say yes to this overwhelming thing. Yeah. And then you meet your gynecologist and that's your Han Solo. Your guide. Yeah. And then there's Ivy and that she's like our Yoda. And uh, Each trimester has like a different cave to go. Yeah, it's three X. Yeah. It's a three-act structure. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. it. It really is. And, and, and so, like, to ignore the blood and sweat and teeth and bone and skin and flab and goo, <laughs> like, it's to ignore all of that is, like, it's like making the soil – it's like, uh, what's the word? It's like the, the soil is so rich because of, of all of the death. That's right. And so it's it's just trying to ignore that and, and be like, no, this uh, flower just grows from other flowers. <laughs> right. But it's a lot of sheets. It's the sheet over the boob breastfeeding in public. It's the sheet we put over dead bodies. It's the oh, sheet yeah. we put around sick people. Yeah. It's like we have a culture, and it's it's very interesting to consider Again, Ramdas taught me this. I've never been to India, but he's like, when somebody dies in India, they they walk them on a board through the street. Like, and and that dying sick person was probably in a small house with three generations of family around them. So yeah. the kids are seeing it, the the elders are seeing it, the middle aged people are seeing it, and that is very rich soil, yeah. and and That's- it's it's a it's conscious soil. It, you know, it, it also goes back to the way that we turn cow flesh into beef, you know, and it's, I, I, this is not a vegan agenda. I'm just saying the stories that we tell are controlled by the sheets that we drape over the unpleasant parts. Mm. And, you know, as much as I am for animal rights and such, when I think of um, Joe Rogan or your dad hunting, I sort of understand. I'm like, this guy wants to look in the eyes the thing that he's going to eat. And and maybe there is a holy and sacred relationship there. It's not for me. It's not my cup of tea. Um, but how much of that not my cup of tea-ness is my denial to mm-hmm. face the leather seats in our Volvo? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. is that is your dad with his deer heads on the wall in his own way, not in his own way, I'm not going to minimize it, is that more evolved than me in my ivory tower saying I'm a vegan and I don't even know how the tofu was made. Like, I don't even know how they did it. (laughs) Soybeans? You put a bunch of soybeans in a Vitamix? I don't know what this is. Yeah, it's a mystery. I don't think anybody knows. (laughs) I think you just drive a bunch of soybeans to Sedona, Arizona, and by the time you're there, it just hardens into these cubes. I thought you were going to say it cooks in one of the energy vortexes. There you go. 30%. Always. Wow, 30%. Well, you reminded me, though, that um, what I started to say was that that, so women taking the power back um, with breastfeeding, I 
it, it, it had like a kind of a surprising effect on me um, because before I was even pregnant, I was following a lot of lactivist, which is one of my favorite words. Um, <laughs> so like lactation activists. And it was just these beautiful pictures of women like breastfeeding up in like public and being like, deal with it. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. And, and it was all about like, just give your baby the boob, the breast anytime they wanted. And I was so excited. And then these clear, I had this like very clear picture and you know what, I'm doing it again already for when we have a second baby, but like this, this yearn for like, I just want to be like naked and my baby is naked and we're tangled in sheets and we're sleep deprived and we're just feeding and sleeping, feeding and sleeping. Yeah. And, um, cut to me on that fifth day and the lactation consultant being like, no, hold it this way. Hold it this way. Do it this way. And I'm like, I can't. She hates and, it. And I hate it. Pinching too. It, it's like, you know, I was thinking about my doctor and, and sometimes I worry that my doctor is a hack um, because he's always trying to get me on Nexium. He was like, take some Advil. It might give you heartburn. So I'm going to give a prescription for Nexium. And, <laughs> I've taken Nexium before and it was the most harmful drug to my system I've ever taken because oh. it, it shuts off the acid producers in your stomach. And then when I went off Nexium, I had 10 times worse heartburn. So it makes you dependent basically. Uh. So I have a chip on my shoulder about Nexium. So he may not be a hack, but he, it, um, he's always on. I don't take everything he says as gospel, let's just say. Yeah. And I was thinking about breaking up with him. I was like, if that guy, I have a lot of free time. I was like, if that guy tries to tell me to go on Nexium again because he's done it a couple times. <laughs> a couple times. He's always like, you should get, I'm like, how Are many? You sure? Are you sure he's not just trying to get you to join Nexium? You- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. What is it? Keith Ranieri. Yeah, my doctor is Keith Ranieri. <laughs> Which Ranieri sounds like a disease, doesn't it? I had Ranieri. That Ranierial disease. <laughs> yeah, Ranierial disease. Maybe he was trying to get me re- watch The Vow on HBO if you are. And we're a couple episodes behind, and I keep seeing spoilers on my phone. By the way, stay away from that phone. I just told you go into screen screen time. Okay, <laughs> what am I? Because I'm in Canada, it's very tricky for me to get my HBO account working. I, I can't be bothered. Anyway. I'm sure I could, but I think I have to subscribe to something else, and I refuse. So we're well, a couple watch of, it apart. So you have to wait anyway. No, I was going to Facetime you, of course. Okay. That's like oh. that's infidelity. <laughs> 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 I think you'd be more happy knowing I tossed a stranger salad than I watched the season finale of The Vow without you. If you came home and you were like. Something happened with one of the actresses. <laughs> I got to tell you about it. I think I'd be like, you know, my feelings are hurt, but I think we can move past it. And if you came home and said, I finished the vow, I'd be like, well, <laughs> over. <laughs> I took a vow to not finish the vow without you. <laughs> but anyway, I thought about breaking up with him because if he offered me Nexium again and just saying, I, I just don't think this is working. And then I was like, it is sort of like a breakup because this man has had his finger in my butt. <laughs> like <we've, laughs> Dr. Miller and I have done something that you and I have never done. And uh, so there would be that sort of, there's an intimacy to the relationship. And I was like, I, 
to what extent would it feel like a breakup to be like, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I need a different gloved hand to go up my butt next <laughs> express state exam. Yeah. All of that is to say the, the touching, which look, I don't want to join in on the, let's be honest, homophobic um, prostate jokes, but let's just say sexuality aside, it's, it's invasive. It's literally invasive. Yeah. And it wasn't pleasant. It, it, he, I was looking at his hands the whole time and I was like, I don't know about this. Why does he look like Andre the Giant all of a sudden? All right, you need to take it. You need to bend over now. And Mr. Reiner. Uh, anyway, um, you having your, your boob like squeezed by another person, nothing possessive or territorial on my end. Again, I feel like that's the normal story. It was more like I know what it feels like when someone else in, with good intentions is grabbing and, and manhandling. <laughs> I mean, it's an aggressive sort of, I don't know. It's like trying to get a golf ball out of a bagpipe or something. It's, it's not pleasant. Yeah. yeah. She was, she also just was, I think she's like perfect for a lot of other people, but she was not my speed. Uh, she was like way more of like a coach than a consultant. And really what I need is like a lactation nurturer. Um, So I was, I had not slept for eight days because I didn't sleep for three days before when I was in labor. Mm. And then it was the fifth day. My hormones were, were dropping. I was getting dizzy and whatever. Uh, And, and then there was this person like, I can't, I remember, just remember like, (laughs) I had this like that breast pillow around and she kept being like dinner is served on the table and like flopping my boobs on. I remember this. Dinner is served on the table. Okay, squeeze it and then I would forget which way to squeeze it because I couldn't process any information and she was talking so fast and all that like it was like my inner narrative of you will not be able to breastfeed your child, your hungry child. You cannot give her what you want, what you, she needs mm. was just so loud that I couldn't hear anything she was saying. And then mm. it was just like, I lost it. And then that was also the same day that, uh, after that, because I, it was so traumatic and awful, I had pumped and you were like, we have a bottle. So, um, so you just like go in the room and sleep as long as you can sleep. Mm. But because when you're that sleep deprived. So there's a lot of things happening when you're that sleep deprived or a couple you're so wired. It's like, I was, it was like every time I started to doze, it was like I was falling asleep way too quickly. Yeah. I remember you said that on this podcast, I think. Remember? And then I would would jolt like a electroshock of anxiety would jolt myself awake. I also think sleeping the first sleep when you have a baby or the first few feels so unnatural. I know I've, I think I said this too. It's like, it's like there's a tiger in the, like if I fall asleep, the tiger will eat my baby. I have there's to- a horse in the hospital. Yeah. 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 Um, so I couldn't sleep. And, um, and I think I've shared the story where I just like told my friend and was like, I, I, I Marco poloed her and was like, I can't sleep. What if you do, if, if you can't sleep, even when you can, you know, and I called my mom and she, I, she really gave me really good advice too. She was like, just rest, take a breath, uh, take a bath or meditate. Your body will receive it as rest and you'll be rejuvenated. Mm-hmm. Like 
because there can be this really trippy thing of like the baby's sleeping, sleep when the baby's sleeping, sleep when the baby's sleeping. And right, like, right. That's the least, like the last relaxing thought. Um, but so all of that is to say, like, it is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's okay if it's hard. And the main thing I want to convey is whether you're thinking about being pregnant, whether you are pregnant, whether your partner is pregnant, whether you're postpartum, uh, 12 years or 12 days, um, however you feel is not only completely okay and perfect, but billions of other people have felt exactly how you feel in this moment whatever it is anybody who's like yeah yeah but I have this baby and I don't want to touch the baby the it skeeves me out like I can't it's like yeah a billion people have had that exact aversion and they've gotten through it loving good mothers have felt that way that's right exactly and I mean I one of my darkest moments after she was um she was born. I think she was like even six months maybe. And I was going to be left alone. And I just got really into my child self and really into an anxiety spiral and kept thinking, what if I black out and I've like drowned her or something? Yeah, of course. Really dark, but you helped me so much through that because I would have thoughts like that. And then I would think like, oh my God, she's not safe with me because I'm having thoughts like that. And how creative is our ego and our subconscious to to write that story? I mean, we're all screenwriters. We're all story writers. And it's like, I can't get her to freak out. And when she's freaking out, we're really real. Like we really exist. So I'm going to say, okay, you're watching the baby. Guess what? You're not equipped to help the baby. That is... That is the devil on your shoulder right there. And it's you. It's your voice. It's That's your- it. That's exactly what it felt like. And you came up with the werewolf mentality or uh, metaphor, mm. which really helped because you said that you also were experiencing it in your own way. And that's kind of the interesting thing about getting in touch with your animal is like, there are animals who eat their young if they decide that they're not safe. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so there is almost this like ruthless, fierce protecting thing. That's right. Cause you, it's back to waking up the animal. Well, animals do terrible and fucked up and irrational to human things. Right. Like they do fucking crazy things. So like we just woke up our animal mm-hmm. to give birth and to this and that. And now there's this animal in me. You woke up the werewolf. Yeah, exactly. So it felt like, well, I don't know what she's capable of. And my defenses are down because I'm so sleep deprived. So what, what's going to happen? Um, that being said, I do want to give the like, it's a cliche for a reason. I'm, I am going to do it again if, if we can, if we're able. So just know that this is coming from somebody who knows all of this and that was like my biggest fear was to have postpartum depression or to, you know, feel some of these things. So if you're pregnant and you're really afraid of all of this, know that this is coming through from somebody who went through it and is going to willingly do it again because it's that worth it. That's like right. yeah. you cannot imagine. And I just spoke to my friend again, who, um, I have two friends, I've, I mentioned this before, but I think it's important to mention, who re, 
rejected their pregnancy, did not want that baby the whole time they were pregnant. And both of them have reported that as soon as the baby came out, they were, their heart blew up and they were massively in love. Now for some, it won't come that soon, but it is inevitable. Mm. You will experience love in, in its full capacity. Sorry to keep bringing it back to sports, but I'm like, it sounds like a coach being like, you're in the NFL. You will break your ribs. You will cry. You will break your leg. And in the end, you will thank me because you will have a Heisman Trophy. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. We know. Stand up. Look, please don't think I think it's one for one. I know you know that. But anyone listening, please don't misunderstand me. Stand up is the same thing. The, the young people that I give the advice, I'm like the most – it's a generalization, but I'll say the most pain I felt in my life has be- been the rejection and the uh, of audiences mostly, not mm-hmm. Hollywood, but like the audiences are way worse. In fact, it's a good way to toughen yourself up to the inevitable rejections of Hollywood. But like you can see when you're talking to a young person, just like, you know, people that are like, I'm just going to be a parent. I know I want to be a parent or I, I would, I'd like to at least try. You can see, even if I tell them, about the the dark times in some weird holiday in in Orlando. It's always Orlando because that's a specific story. But like at, at the end, you get the trophy. There's lots of different trophies. There's just, there's huge Kevin Hart trophies and there's smaller Pete Holmes trophies. And then there's all the way down and many, many, many reports that it was, worth it and they'd do it again and they're still doing it you know yeah that's right and it feels that way i mean i love every single part of of my journey and when i look at leela our relationship is rich and deep because all of that was part of it mm. like it is the deepest thing you can experience and that means that there there is that the darkness if you want to even look at it that way is part of it that the fire energy that's burning up things in real time is totally part of it and it goes back to the katie thing of like doing a turnaround to like i look forward to experiencing it well in multiple ways one is I look forward to to it ne- the next time around because I can kind of go into it now knowing like, okay, here I go to die. <laughs> you mm-hmm, know? Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and then also because whatever you need to work on will be brought up. Even if you are the yeah. father or, you know, the per- the partner that isn't, having the baby parenting will bring all your shit to the surface. So you can just skim it all up. <laughs> well, and what an opportunity. I'm not trying to say it's not difficult, but like, it's like going to a therapist that you know will break you. But at the end, what you put together will be your actual self instead of the, the false story. Yeah. It's funny, Richie, our homeboy, Richie Rohr, uh, if people are looking for a book to start with Richard Rohr, actually I recommend true self, false self, which is his iTunes talk series, which is life changing. He also has a YouTube video as a young man with a whiteboard behind him where he breaks down 
um, he must be in his thirties. He breaks down everything I ever had a problem with religion and he breaks it down and explains it. And you're just like, how is the evolution of dance so popular? And this video that would heal, this is a Christian, you know, it's obviously not a Christian nation, but there's a lot of Christian people in the nation. I, I don't mean to say it's a Christian nation. I'm saying there's a lot of Christian people here. There's a lot of formerly Christian people here. That video should be the most popular video on YouTube. Um, given the numbers, he says that we really misunderstand the metaphor of hell and the symbol of fire as a whole when it's used in religious literature. And he's like, this is what we're talking about. These difficult things, bringing up things and these things being burned up. But the fundamental question of spirituality is if that burnt up, what's left? If I take this title away from you, if I take this job away from you, if I take this story, this identity, this relationship, this whatever, if that goes away, what's still there? And that is the only game in town. And, yeah. and, and processes like this not only result in the most joy and love and silliness and laughter that we've ever experienced so much that I can't even remember, as we've said, I can't even remember what we were doing before Lila. Mm. it also torches your barn. And when you rebuild it, just like, you know, it's always better the second time around, you rebuild it and you, you design it differently and you design it more authentically and more yeah. minimally. And you realize just like this quarantine is, is a type of hell, things are being set on fire. What remains? How much do you really need? Um, how can you get it? Is it, I'm eating rice checks. I don't eat rice checks. Uh, can I live on rice checks? Turns out I kind of can. I thought I needed uh, to go to Crossroads with you and get, uh, you know, gourmet vegan food. I like doing that, but it turns out Pete's pretty fine with two meals a day, and one of them is a very large steel bowl, so it stays cold, of rice checks with blueberries. Very, very good stuff. Sorry, I, what's that, Bubba? You're being a like quarantine comedian husband cliche with your big bowl of cereal. It's straight out of forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I love yeah. it every time she got me this bowl. I, I love that part. I love the, the way that that authentically captures how people even failed relationships change your life. Yeah. I've always said that my most difficult relationship um, that I've alluded to which had some really great parts. I don't want to just call it a difficult relationship, but it had, <laughs> there was some turbulence taught me so many valuable things that led to me knowing where my boundaries were, knowing how to be more honest in a relationship, being more upfront instead of being this like overly polite, manipulative liar that false advertised to this person who ended up being frustrated with me, um, for good reason, I'm sure. Uh, that led that burned me down and it was a type of hell it meaning it was a type of fire and it burned me down and then when i gathered myself back up like the phoenix um it was a more true i don't want to call it pete that trivializes it but it was a more true awareness it was a more true there were less filters between my projection and the screen there were less slides in the way less story to tell yeah that's right I love that. And I think it is all we're trying to get back to authenticity. So if you think of it that way, like there's muck 
that is is confusing your reality and and um blocking your vision yeah burn that shit up burn it up and and let it burn you up because if it's burning you up brother that's not you because you're still here it's burning a story it's burning a conditioning it's burning some movie that you misinterpreted in your 20s uh, that became a part of your psyche. It's burning that up and you're much more infinite and boundaryless and light filled than any of that stuff. And that's what Katie says, Byron Katie. If anybody's, I always recommend loving what is by Byron Katie to start. I'm currently reading a thousand names for joy, but she says it in all of the books. She's like, and the good news is the story is like anytime you're frustrated or angry or arguing with reality, it's like an alarm clock going off that you are not in the flow. You're not letting go in the river and, and appreciating what is. Um, And she's like, the good news is you'll always get another opportunity. So you start to look forward. I know this sounds insane, but when I'm in my clearest space, I start looking forward to that feeling. I had it today though. I haven't seen a person in whatever it's been, eight, nine days. And today I, I opened the blinds in the morning and I saw a guy delivering food and my body, I'm proud of, uh, of me. I'm proud that I've been able to take some of your embodiment lessons because I felt it like if my body was a tank of water, it was someone poured in um, laundry detergent, like a harsh chemical detergent. And it dissolved from the base of my spine up to the top of my head. And it was fear. I was afraid of someone that I saw through my window. And that goes back to all of the feelings of not being safe in my life have resulted in an unconscious, just meaning I don't know what the source of it is, response from my body. And as that happens, as that dissolving irritates my insides, it's it's like your phone vibrating with a reminder to take out the trash. It goes, you are telling yourself an untrue story. You think that is an unsafe person that's going to do this that happened to you when you were seven or do this to you when you were in high school or they're going to laugh at you like you that when you were wearing that tight black Philadelphia cream cheese. And, and none of that is happening. What was happening, if I had seen it from an, another level, was, oh, my God, there's people out there I forgot. I could have seen it with that lens. And they yeah. deliver food and the world is going on and it's okay. But my body still goes for somebody that like made his life entertaining strangers. And then the huge part of my showbiz life is having meetings and being charming and being comfortable in situations where you're, you know, traditionally people aren't comfortable public speaking or people aren't comfortable controlling a meeting or whatever. Um, The fact that I did a good job at that, it doesn't add up with the guy that's afraid when he sees a delivery guy. Um, to, to me it does because um, it, it's a, that same fear is what makes you need to control a room. Ah, of course. <laughs> uh, which I also do. We've talked about this. I just do it through like energetically kind of, sifting for any tension and then so true over accommodating to make sure that everybody just stays peaceful Mm. and I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it so that I will feel safe. 
That's right. Confidence is misdiagnosed um, fear. (laughs) I mean, it's not the full picture, but yeah. I would say, I think the more compassionate and, and arguably truer way to look at it is like, what a lovely way that you have um, coped channeled your fear. Yeah. I, I, I like that alchemizing your dysfunction into something that that's shiny that people like, or that you, or that you can find value and forget other people, but that you can like, yeah. I think that's wonderful. Mom, I know you have therapy in 15 minutes. Do you want to do some questions just so people don't feel yeah. robbed? Absolutely. And then, Oh, I have a poem that I wrote during about my oh. pregnancy time. This was, you've heard it. It's a, it's an old one. I want to hear it. it Cause I feel like that'll be, very apropos. Okay. I'm looking, I'm looking for a, a quick one or an easy one to kind of get us started. What is something you wish you could make yourself like, but you can't? I thought that would be good for you too, Mama. Oh. Food, movies, TV shows, etc. I used to feel that way about coffee culture. We did a monologue on the P. Home show about how I don't like coffee. Now I love coffee. But I... Uh, I used to envy coffee culture, like sitting with a drink. And I'm trying to think of something modern, though. Does anything come to mind for you? Yeah, and I'm embarrassed to admit it. So that means that um, it's a good I should, one. That I should, yeah. And I think you're gonna relate. Oh no! I will say I haven't given it a good chance. Oh, Game of Thrones. Definitely, that's one of them for sure. Yeah, I don't even know why I don't like Game of Thrones. I can't. I had a joke about it about realms, but like, I don't know. I can't. I don't know why. I haven't given it a good chance, but that's how I feel about David Bowie. Oh my God, Val! The day David Bowie died, um, I had a set at Meltdown, and I did a bit where I was like, I just don't know his work, and everybody's really freaking out. And I remember I got a really good laugh. I went, look, I'm just saying, because it's all hipsters who love David Bowie and, you know, scattered with nerds like me that don't know him or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just saying, if all you know is let's dance, this is a confusing day. And every, it, it did really well. I, I have a million like that. The Beatles, uh, a lot of the early, especially early Beatles, don't, doesn't really light my fire. I think fire. it's safe to say that, that just in general, that's how you feel about music. <laughs> Music, I have a, I have a tricky com- uh, relationship with music. I sort of feel like the stereotype for women, meaning women fall in love with a, a whole person, right? I feel that way about music, meaning I don't love the Rolling Stones, um, but I love the Rolling Stones song that is in Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love the song Moonlight Mile that ended an episode of The Sopranos. I love Don't Think Twice, It's All Right that ended an episode of Mad Men because... Bob Dylan. It's Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because it filled me with a story. Similarly, the bands that I've seen live, um, like when I hear um, 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins, I love it because I think of when it came out in 1996 or seven, when I was in mm-hmm. high school, that it was a song about my birth year. I have yeah. all this association. The same with even uh, lighter things like Taylor Swift that New Year's that um, me and you and Rob, Rob Bell and David Vanderveen, we were on his porch and they played her album 1989, mm-hmm. which is what brought it to mind. 
I like that album because of the time and the place of it. Same with movies. If it was a bad time and a bad place, I won't like it as much. But um, Shakespeare in Love was the first movie that I made out with a with a young lady during the movie. So when I watch that movie, I'm like, oh my God, remember that? That was insane. So it, like I have a more, more fun. I'm that way with music. And The National, obviously my favorite band. Sorry, I'm talking so much. When I was dating the first person after my wife left me, which I believe was two weeks after she left me, talk about codependence, and a shout out to the loving person that was patient with that broken man, she, in her apartment, put on Boxer. And there I was brokenhearted and and a shambles, and I heard Boxer for the first time. And that's, I've told Matt this, uh, not that he, not, not that I needed to, but I was like, I'm boxer on alligator and all the other national records don't have the same hooks in me because the complexity of those emotions was tied to the art. So yeah. I don't have that for the Beatles. In fact, with the Beatles, I have the opposite. All the cool kids like the Beatles, all the, mm-hmm. all the rich kids, if I'm being honest with dads that paid attention to them, liked the Beatles. Oh, mm-hmm. I remember my friend Eric Leslie going, are you Beatles or Stones? It's something me and my dad always talk about. And I was like, you talk? Look, my dad's great. I love my dad. But we didn't play games like, are you a Beatles man or a Stones man? We didn't, right. we didn't do, are you Elvis or are you the, or the Beatles? We just didn't talk that way. So that resentment tarnished the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the Beatles are great. But when it comes to music, I'm like a woman. I need to fall in love with the whole thing. So a good rock doc. Is a great way to get me in. Mm-hmm. Anything yep. else? Any food or other things? You know, what's funny is I asked myself that. I was like, are there any foods that I feel pressure? <laughs> I love all of the food. I love every food. Yeah. Uni. I've never liked uni sushi. Nobody likes uni, though. Even people that like it are just pretending. It looks like Trump's hair gel or something. I don't like it. Yeah. If you could have, this is the same person as Allie Byrne. She said, if you could have all the answers or know the truth about any conspiracy, what would it be? That is a, I love that question. Oh, that's fantastic. If you I, have- I don't mean to stoke the fire. I'd love to know um, the truth about the moon landing. I'm, I, I actually believe that we did go, but why, why is the, if you look at the viewfinder of the photos, is it, um, is some of the background in front of the viewfinder. Do you know what I'm saying? On a camera, there's a viewfinder, there's lines on it. And some of the, uh, the rocks are blocking out the viewfinder. It's just these little hints that they were Photoshopped or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't believe that we faked it, but I'd love someone to walk me through the full yeah. story, the complexity of racing with Russia, the, whatever we needed to do. I do believe we went. Please don't misunderstand. I, in that vein, I know it's kind of, cliche but i would love some answers on stonehenge and easter island like what good one how how did it how (laughs) there's a specific button in our brains that just immediately says i don't give a shit when someone says they moved building ancient structures that aren't the pyramids aren't stonehenge aren't easter island those are also examples but i'm talking about there's other if you've ever watched ancient aliens or whatever before they get to the it was aliens part they're mm-hmm. stating a very plain fact which is this structure was made with a stone that we couldn't easily move today 
mm-hmm. uh, and they moved it then. That that would that would be fun. It, it, I, I just I'd love to know that. Yeah, absolutely. And JFK, I want to know what's going on with JFK. Yeah, all, what happened with JFK? All the hits. Yeah, everybody. I mean the the classics. I'm trying to think if there's like one that isn't so obvious that I would like to know, but mm, I don't do well with not being able to know something. I don't know if other people have that, but it's like, you've seen me in movies. Even if I'm like, like, remember there was that weird movie that Joaquin Phoenix did where at least I wasn't sure if it was, it was with Casey Affleck, if it was supposed to be a documentary or not. Oh yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. I hated that. I tend to not like things that don't let you in. Yeah. yeah, I just can't handle not knowing. It's a prank. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a prank and you're like, but I want to know if this was real or if it was a prank. And they don't tell you and, and what's yeah. real, what's fake. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Do you. Can I ask you another fun one? This is a real yeah, quick one. Do a quick one. Le- Layla Grace gave us some great speed ones. You just answer these. I won't answer. How did you picture the afterlife as a child? Oh, full, like you're walking on clouds, harps. Um, <laughs> he lived in a white gown with a blue sash and piercing blue eyes, the golden gates going into the like gold paved roads yeah. and you like pick your mansion and you get that heavy crown with all your jewels in it, which I always had a little bit of trouble with because I was like, that's not my style. Hilarious. <laughs> given, given how much reporting of harps in heaven that we've created culturally, yeah. you'd think harp concerts would be more popular here. <laughs> if we're like, you die and you get to listen to harp. <laughs> you think like that? The, you mean the instrument of the angels? Yeah. yeah. Let's no, no one wants, I mean, much love to our harp players, but I feel like there's only 20 of them. <laughs> Not to um, harp on the harpists. Okay. What would be on Leela's Oprah-esque list of favorite things? I really like that. Oh, I love that. My heart just felt so warm. See, having a baby is so worth it. You just of think course. of them and your heart bursts. Um, her favorite things right now are Daniel Tiger, anything from Frozen, cooking. So like pots She loves and watching us cook. She loves pretending to cook. She loves pretending. Oh, and we've been playing birthday since her birthday. So she'll find that girl will find any thing that looks like a cake and anything that looks like a candle, figure out how to stick them together and sings happy bow day. <laughs> happy bow day. Happy bow and day. She sings it to herself, right? Yeah. She sings happy bow day. And she goes up like that. She goes happy bow day. Do ye. Uh. <laughs> God, I'm going to die. Um, There's a time that you surprise yourself. What kind of activities make you feel at home in your body? Mm. Why, um, th- those are both good, but we're, we're almost out of time. Thank you, Layla. Um, why don't you do a question you'd like and then read your poem? I, I don't want you to be late for therapy. Yeah. Uh, well, home, I love the what activities make me feel at home in my body. Dancing more than anything. A hundred percent dancing, uh, especially dancing with friends, especially like kind of silly dancing and making each other laugh. So you get the laughter and the dancing and the exercise uh, and just the pure freedom. Um, swimming in the ocean, uh, singing for sure. Um, 
just like being naked in a hot tub with my girlfriends. Mm. I feel so embodied in those situations. Love that. Um, those are those are mine. You're so beautiful. Yeah, right. What well, um we learned last time you have to play Gymno PD number one by Eric Satie. Yeah, all the sound has to be coming from your side oh, uh, while you read the poem. This has been, I love this episode. I do too. I miss, yeah. I miss you, but it's fun to, it kind of is like, like we're dating and yeah, we all of our stuff in one date. It's urgent. I love it. Um, are, so are we sure it's not going to compete for the sound if I play that and talk? Hmm. I don't know. Why don't you just read the poem just to be safe? Okay. You guys cue up Gymnopedia number yes. one. Yes. Play it your damn selves. I haven't read this in a while, so I hope it's as good. I mean, you know, I don't think it's like amazing, but okay. Valerie. Valerie. Okay. So it's called Leela. Mm-hmm. I was asleep when you came to me. I had learned how to sleep from my mother and she learned from her mother, a tradition of antidepressants and shock treatments of lobotomies we performed on ourselves. Exhausted from it all, we begged for sleep. So we may dream a dream so convincing we are certain we're awake. Our honeymoon was where I first tried to conceive you. We welcomed you into our love. Did you hear us that day? I danced naked in the sun, my face glimmering with stars and peace signs. This is who I was meant to be, I thought. I swam in the cool blue water and delighted in the light show on my hands. That was who I wanted to be for you. But you dropped down, grabbed my hand, and guided me into the depths. The deeper we went, the darker it became. I resisted and struggled, trying to pull you up to the light, desperately afraid for both of us. Down there, your heart beat for the first time. With it came the pain of my mother and her mother and her mother's mother. Fear inherited from generations of women. Sadness ignored, fermented into depression and tucked behind organs where they remained for centuries. But you brought your own light. Exposed, I resisted it. It flooded every corner of my body. The insects and darkness dwellers scurried. I was afraid of my own shadow and even more afraid of it covering you. But darkness cannot cover the light. So taking your lead, I opened my ribs like shutters and let the air in. I dried every tear and told every truth. We made a home in the darkness, you and I. It's something only we shared. Deep down below, you showed me the secret, shining your light on the red, wet walls of a womb. You see, there's nothing to fear. I was asleep when you came to me, and I was going to teach you how to be. But consciousness entered us at the same time through the very wounds I tried to hide. This time you be the mother, you whispered to me, and then you showed me how. Valerie. 
That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thank you. I don't want to tarnish it with words. It was too beautiful. Thank you, Mama. Yeah, thank you. I loved talking to you. I hope uh, this episode helps people. And and please continue to send your questions or if you just need solidarity, I am happy to be, if if somebody doesn't have um, someone they feel like they can talk to about this stuff, I'm happy to be the voice of you're okay and you're not broken. (laughs) And that, I mean, the parallels with any trauma and pregnancy, it's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah. So to everybody out there. Well, thank you, my love. Would you want to say it? I'll say it. Ready? Am I just saying it? No, I'll do a a low bass note. Okay. Keep it crispy. Keep it it's because we're talking at the same time. Keep it crispy. Thank you, Mama. Go have a good therapy. I love you so much. I love you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.